We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. up welcome to the uncontested podcast the thunder fall to the chicago bulls 123 to 102 in a game that was pretty ugly from top to bottom for the the team as a whole Um, there were some pretty impressive individual performances most notably uh, moses brown we discussed this and a lot of other things as we've been doing recently in the locker room app Um, after the game tonight we were joined by mark of the Bulls HQ podcast, part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Um, so without further ado, I will patch us over to that session and let you guys listen in to what we discussed. Zach has this thing he does where he, when he gets on one, he gets on one. And uh, yeah, he was feeling in that first quarter, took off again in that third quarter. But yeah, and then, then of course, we, we, let you, you, we let you guys back in the game. <laughs> That, Again, that's a, another thing the Bulls tend to do at times. It's, I mean, remember last year, the uh, I think it was two 20-plus uh, point leads the Bulls gave up to the Thunder, um, and, and I think lost both of those games, if I'm not mistaken. Um, this year's team's a little different. I, I, I think they tend to be competitive enough to make those kind of runs to get back in games, but... At the end of the day, I think I think we all knew the Bulls are probably going to pull that one out. I mean, they scored seventy through three quarters. I mean, sorry, hundred through three quarters, seventy and a half um, in the first quarter. I think it was forty plus. So it was just from the get go, like you said, offense was flowing. Zach Levine is is kind of next level. Um, is, is I don't watch Bulls games every single night. Is he is he ever off? Like, like would you consider an off game for him like a twenty point night or when do? You- yeah, I like to, it's it's funny to say that like maybe 
two games ago, like he had a run of two bad games, consecutive games, when we played the Sixers and the Heat straight after the All-Star break. Probably wasn't at his best then, and to be fair, teams have started really like trapping him hard, given that the team doesn't necessarily have many other perimeter threats on the, on the uh well, on the perimeter, I suppose. So I'm expecting that to continue in the second half of the season where teams are going to just really load up on Zach. But um, yeah, for the most part this season, he has just been um, unbelievable. I mean, I, I don't know if off the top of my head how many 30-point games he has, but feels like every other game's a 30-point game. And if it's not 30 points, it's most certainly 25. So yeah, he's just been unreal this season, which yeah, is good for me. But having said that, I mean, it's not like you guys are without anyone on, on your, uh, in your within your back or it's not damn awesome. I mean, SGA was just doing things again tonight from my point of view. And like, even though how hard the Bulls were really defending SGA, I mean, the dude just gets wherever he wants every single time. Yeah, he's he's developed a ton even since coming to Oklahoma City. I feel like when he was traded to the Thunder and that, that massive Paul George deal, um, I think a lot of people were excited about the potential of what he could be. And now we're starting to see that plus more. I think like in the last season, he, he really showed that he could flourish as a scorer, even with guys like Chris Paul and Danilo Gallinari and Dennis Schroeder. He was still the team's leading scorer. And this year it's been, you know, whether he wants to get to the cup, whether he wants to score in the mid range, he's shooting 40 plus percent from three. Um, and he's got the link to be a good defender too. Um, you know, he missed that on the all-star game this year, but there's no question in my mind that, at some point, he's going to be an all-star caliber player. Um, I'm kind of curious your standpoint. I know the Bulls made a pretty significant um, starting lineup change, putting Kobe White and Wendell Carter Jr., I believe it was, on the bench to start. Um, yeah. Sadoransky and... Um, that, yeah. Was it? that Yeah, exactly. So what, what were your thoughts on that? Do you think that's a long-term thing, or is that more of a, a lesson learning type thing? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It, it kind of depends based on what they do at the deadline. Um, so that's it, it's it could be a multi-stage thing. Let me say that. But um, yeah, obviously we have some synergies in terms of coaching the Thunder and Bulls. Given given uh, Donovan is obviously the Bulls' head coach, so I've been long calling for him this season to really start thinking about changing up starting lineup because previous to this change, essentially the Bulls were running out their five youngest guys. So. Kobe White and Zach Levine in the backcourt, and then Patrick Williams, Larry Markkinen, and uh, Wendell Carter up front. And that specific unit had basically started all 34 games, 36 games prior to that point. And uh, they were essentially getting score- outscored by 17 points per 100 possessions. So they were really bad. It was clear that they needed to make a change. And um, they just needed to balance their lineups a lot better, get some bets in with those young guys, and make sure the second unit and first unit were a combination of young guys and bets. Uh, so Billy wasn't necessarily doing that, you know, the first half of the season, whether that's just due to him or whether that was like a directive by, you know, a tourish kind of service to make sure these young guys play together. Let's see what they can be together, if they can be anything. Um, but yeah, like I said, they were getting well and truly beat. So I don't know if it's a, a long-term thing or not. Like I'm assuming the Bulls will stand pat at the deadline or if they do anything, maybe they add like one piece to the team. But I, I don't know. It's it, it could it could, go, it could go a number of ways, but it's probably not the greatest of signs that you know you're benching your two last your, your two last uh, number seven picks. They go to the bench, and whilst I was uh, very supportive of the Sato move because Kobe White is just clearly not a point guard, uh, the Wendell Carter one's a bit of a 
I'm a bit of a Wendell Carter stand, let's say, so that was a bit more interesting. <laughs> but at, at the same time, Thad Young has been the second best bull on this on this roster this season, so you can't really argue against it either. Sure. And it seems like with the Bulls, um, from from the games I've watched this season, they, they struggle with interior defense and not to discount Moses Brown's night. He finished with, you know, twenty point sixteen rebounds. He had five blocks on the defensive end. But it seems like they really struggle in allowing a, a two-way guy to have that kind of night in the paint. You know, on top of that, the Thunder um, had, I think it was like 20 uh, points in the paint in the first quarter. Is that at all, um, I guess, worrisome for you when you think about guys like Wendell Carter Jr. and some of the other guys that are kind of anchoring your defense? Yeah, so this game was a bit different in what we've seen maybe the first 30-odd uh, 35 games, something like that. Like uh, The Bulls were trapping a little bit more. They, they were a bit aggressive more in their pick-and-roll coverages, whereas uh, you know the previous, say, 36 games, the team was more, uh, I guess they were more in their drop coverage. So in that sense, in my, to my eyes at least, like part of the defensive problem was just our, our perimeter defense is so poor in terms of dying on screens that a lot of guards were just, just waltzing into the lane to the point where the Bulls couldn't really stop anyone from getting into the paint. Like, it's well and truly, it's one thing to give up points in the paint, but ideally you're not even letting guys get into the paint. But they were just letting guards get into the paint too frequently and the drop coverage wasn't really working ideally. But I guess I guess tonight against the Thunder, we saw a bit more, a bit of a change up defensively. There was more switching. There was more aggressive pick and roll schemes. I guess part of that is just due to the fact that similarly to what I said about Levine and the Bulls, like SGA is probably the the one perimeter threat on the Thunder, I suppose. So maybe they'll be more aggressive trying to get the ball out of his hands. And in doing so, it kind of felt like the Bulls defense from last season where they were trapping really hard. They were really aggressive on pick and roll. And we just kept getting owned by, you know, roll guys. And, you know, Moses Brown as a role man tonight. Like, he was just unstoppable in that first half. Um, so, yeah, the Bulls have had some trouble guarding the paint. They've certainly had some issues guarding other opposing centers. Uh, I'm not sure, necessarily sure it falls on the Bulls centers themselves. It's probably more of a team def- defense issue. But I would say the problem that we saw tonight was probably more symptomatic, uh, emblematic of what we saw last season than what we're seeing this season, which, again, is neither ideal either. So from a, an outsider's point of view, I always like asking this question on these post games. Um, you know, Thunder fans are familiar with a lot of the guys on the team just because, you know, we're halfway through the season, but a lot of them are, for lack of a better term, kind of no-name guys. Um, yeah. When you look at some of the guys the Oklahoma City Thunder rolled out there tonight, um, how many of those guys were your first time watching it? Guys like Moses Brown, even like Teo Maladone, he's a, he's a good rookie. Um, I think Thunder fans would probably argue he's a top 10 rookie in this class so far. Um, but, but outside of, of Thunderland, like, are, do you know who any of these guys are? Or whenever you watch the Bulls match up tonight, are you thinking, you know, who the heck are these guys? No, I think I knew most of them probably outside of Moses Brown. I haven't paid a lot of attention to him and I, to be fair, I think he's only played, what, like eight or ten games, something like that, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm going to give myself some credit <laughs> on that one for not necessarily knowing too much about him, but he was impressive. But, like, I don't know, like, you knew of Poku because the, the Bulls were bad. So, like, you obviously, right. up until this draft, he was scouting the draft. I, I kind of knew, you know, Teo Maladon for that reason as well. Like, maybe he's the, someone the Bulls could maybe get in the late first or something like that back in the draft. Um, whenever that was now, almost a year or oh, six months ago. So, 
Uh, and then like guys like Kendrick Williams, Darius Miller, and Justin Jackson, like they've been on other West West Coast teams. So again, bit role players that have seen you've seen elsewhere. But I mean, someone like Kendrick Williams, you know, he he was on the Pelicans, but I don't know if it was this good. He probably wasn't this good previously, but not he was, this efficient. He was awesome against. Yeah, I mean, he was awesome against the Bulls tonight. And I, again, like based on what I've just seen on the Twitter timelines and those sorts of things, I, I, I've seen him. You know, good things being said about Kendrick Williams. Not, not that I've been watching a ton of Thunder games. But, um, yeah, he was really good against the Bulls. I, I didn't even realize Ty Jerome was on your team at this point. I, well, he was with the Suns last season, right? Yeah, he got hurt and um, didn't play until the G League bubble. He went down there to get some reps, and he's only been with the Thunder since um, probably two or three games before the G League playoffs. So he's relatively new. He's been awesome. Um, I brought Jacob onto the stage. He, he asked a question in the chat, and I actually want to flip the question on him. Um, he asked Moses Brown: Is he racking up stats because he's so damn big, or is there actually something there? I've got my opinions on this, Jacob. I'd like to. I like how I ask a question and I get brought on to answer my own question. That's a hell of a podcast move, Nick. I appreciate that. No, it's. It's interesting, you know, I mean, Moses Brown is not on anybody's, uh, like, scouting report, right? Whenever the Bulls prepped for this game, I doubt any player read anything or any coach said anything about Moses Brown. And then he gets in there, and you guys were talking about this earlier, right? And Mark alluded a lot to it, but Chicago has changed up their starting lineup, and it's a little bit of a smaller lineup now. And Moses Brown is just a freaking enormous human being. You know, and so it's hard to say. I think Moses has a lot of growth to do defensively. Um, I mean, we saw him get put in an early grave by Laurie Markinen at the beginning of this game. But some of the stuff he does, like the the stuff like the the crazy wingspan, um, the tenacity on on offensive rebounds, and those he's really good at like catching a pass underneath the basket, giving a little subtle head fake to create some space. You can see some stuff there. I just, I don't know if if there's a place for him in like the the NBA in the 2020s, you know. And yeah, he's looked great for the past few games, but I just, I don't know. It's so hard to read the situation that I I really don't know is if there's actually something there, or is this just a guy coming in and and racking up some impressive uh, stats? But here in four, five, six games, teams are going to figure out how to attack him even more film and pick and rolls and just cook his ass nonstop. You know, like it's, it's going to be an interesting experiment to see the rest of the season, what they do with him. And see, for me, I've joked about him um, prior to some of these outbursts saying he's just another Dakari Johnson. Like he'll put up big G league numbers, but when he plays someone, you know, relatively his own size, he won't be as good. And he's, he's definitely proven me wrong there. I don't know if he'll ever be an NBA starter, but tell me if you like this comp, Jacob, and you too, Mark, because you've I'm I'm certain you've watched this guy play. Um, a guy that played for the Thunder for the past couple of years uh, before moving to New York to play for the Knicks, Nerlens Noel. He was a guy that really emerged defensively and was known for not necessarily being a huge scorer, but using his size to simply um, come in and be efficient. His per 36 numbers were always off the charts. Like if you could have Moses Brown three years from now, be your backup center that could come in be a spark, um, you know, anchor the defense and give you nine rebounds in 11 or 12 minutes. Like, I think that's a win. 
Yeah, and this isn't a direct comp because, again, I haven't seen enough of him. But, like, I, I think there was scope for him to develop into, like, a Rashawn Holmes type player or something like that where, you know, just if he can clean up defensively, maybe like I mentioned it on Twitter, but, like, his drop coverage or his defense in drop coverage when he was playing was, was pretty bad. But, like, if he can just get up a level and just be a little bit better in that, a little bit smarter in that sense, like... I don't know if Rashawn Holmes is a starter for most teams. He's on Sacramento, but not that Sacramento obviously is a, a great team. So like, <laughs> Holmes would be like a great backup on so many ball clubs. Like, it, I don't think it's impossible for this guy, Moses Brown, to maybe forge a similar path. And I mean, just due to the fact that he's so huge, so long, he can be a lob threat. Obviously, a, a really uh, interesting option as a role man. I think if you just have, if you can get his defense up slightly, then I think there is a a place for him in the NBA, probably as a backup, but you know, finding a backup center that easily is um, kind of testament to what OKC has done this season. With I, I guess again, for me, watching from an outsider point of view, like these aren't big names; they're, they're random names that a lot of people wouldn't have heard before. But I think what I can appreciate, particularly as a Bulls fan who has you know gone through rebu- rebuilding for the last three or four years, successive you know top ten picks this team hasn't necessarily come together the way we would have hoped. And part of the issue is that they just don't play connected and don't play hard the whole, the whole 48 minutes. But like watching the thunder, like these guys are no name guys, but like they play hard. They play, they play like they actually care, which is like, again, I don't know if that necessarily means anything, but um, I'm assuming OKC fans would like. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Really appreciate the fact that these guys are actually out there hustling. It's not just Kenridge Williams, like like I said before, Ty Jerome came in and did his thing, and Justin Jackson came in and, and done, did his thing. I mean, Poku is a bit of a weird one, but um, he comes <laughs> in and does his thing as well. So, like, even though these guys aren't huge names, who knows if they are, you know, real contributors? Like, I, I, from from my point of view, like as the opposing fan point of view, like. The fact that they were able to get back in this game just kept hustling and kept pressuring. Like you got to appreciate that, I guess. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, 
you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Yeah, that's that's an interesting no, point definitely. you bring up. And um, ju- just to throw another comp out there for Moses Brown, Nick, you went Nerlens Noel. I think the comp that I can think of most for him as far as former Thunder Center, uh, Hashim Tabi. Interesting. He didn't he, same he didn't style of game. Well, well, yeah, yeah, and I, I think maybe that uh, that has something to do with my comp as well, or maybe my hope for Moses Brown's long term outlook. But same kind of style of of game, um, same size. Uh, effectively, how tall was to beat? Like seven three, seven two, or seven three? Seven, yeah, and Moses is seven one. So um, that's the one that initially jumped out to me as well. But Mark, to your point, um, the Thunder are a bunch of tryhards, man. These are guys that just like against all odds. They're like, I've been on our podcast. I've been calling them the Goonies because they never say die. You know, they just yeah. go out there and they fight and they fight and they fight. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, it's encouraging to see that. Sometimes you get a little frustrated because you're like, damn, lose this game and get a top five pick, you know, but they're just a team that, that never gives up. And I think Kenrick Williams is really the guy that uh, kind of embodies all of that. Right, Nick? Definitely. And and Mark brought up a point that was kind of interesting because Oklahoma City Thunder fans are kind of going through a phase right now where um, they're they're almost fine losing games, just knowing that you're that much closer to a top pick. And you had mentioned, you know, even getting some of these top picks, like things haven't really panned out the way you thought they would be um, for continuity reasons or guys just not fitting well together. What are some of the hurdles and roadblocks and struggles that you've seen um, that, you know, maybe Oklahoma City won't face the same issues, but um, I think it's, I think it's unique perspective to hear it from your point of view, because I think a lot of Thunder fans just think, yeah, we'll, we'll get three lottery picks and then we'll be a contender again. It takes a lot of luck, a lot of continuity, the right people, the right pieces fitting together for this thing. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, at the moment, picks are just picks. They're, they're theoretical. They may amount to nothing. They may amount to something amazing. It, you know, it remains to be seen. But I think the difference from what I see from OKC, and again, as an outsider and as a very jealous outsider, is it kind of feels like Presti and OKC are trying to engineer their luck as much as they can. Like, ultimately, you can't control lottery balls or whatever it is, but you can control how many draft picks you go and get. Whereas comparing that to... Chicago Bulls situation previously under guard packs at that time like they were very content just you know just running into the first round with that one pick that they had not necessarily trading up or trading down or being creative wherever that pick fell that's where they could ultimately be drafting and as we saw for three uh, successive seasons they just got the the number seven pick three straight years and there was opportunities in all those years to do something more creative and whether that's in season and trying to tank properly and, and not win games that you shouldn't from a, a tanking point of view, let's say. Um, but then even on draft night, like w- there was probably opportunities to go up and move up a few slots or do something more creative than just staying at pick seven. So I, I, I would be very surprised if Presty sort of 
takes the Chicago Bulls route where we just uh, sort of half-ass the rebuild, I guess, because we don't necessarily trade players for, for future picks. We don't do, you know, we don't make any draft day deals. Like the OKC have just acquired so many draft picks where maybe if your draft pick, you know, you're on you're on track to have the number one pick, but for whatever reason you get bad lottery luck, you, you fall down to four or five or something like that, you still have enough picks in the, in the war chest to maybe go up and make some trades and or whatever it may be. Like but you've just created more of an opportunity for yourselves, which is, it just gives you more of an opportunity to do something more creative. So it kind of feels like, from my point of view, at least, like OKC is just trying to create as much luck that they can actually create, I guess. Like, again, you can't control what happens on the, from a lottery ball point of view, but you can control what you can control. And what uh, what Presti is doing, um, I'm very jealous of, particularly as a, as a fan of a team that's sort of still going through a rebuild. But, you know, over the last three or four previous seasons, um, it's been quite miserable at times, just sort of continuously picking at seven. And, I mean, the chances of finding a real game changer at number seven, it is pretty remote. Sure. And then cons- consistently doing that year after year, like that's, that's problematic, but obviously, okay. See with all these picks coming through and, and just, like I said, having so many picks, like you have the opportunity to go up into that top three and go grab someone like that. So yeah, I guess if I'm, if I'm, not, if I'm an OKC fan, I'm probably more jealous that this team is, or not jealous, nervous that this team is actually competitive <laughs> and good and winning games that maybe they shouldn't. That's, that's what I would be worried about more uh, so than anything else. Oh, trust me. That's, that's, uh, if you get on the, uh, Thunder Twitter timeline, that is certainly being talked about. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned, you know, still kind of in this rebuild. I want to talk a little bit of Bulls. I know we have a couple Bulls fans in here. Um, what needs to happen at the trade deadline to get this team on the right track? And then the second part of this question, you can answer this first or you can answer it after. Uh, what is a successful season for the Chicago Bulls? Well, I'm kind of hoping we can engineer a trade, a trade between OKC and uh, Chicago. To be honest with you, um, I don't know what the status is with George Hill, but I wouldn't mind getting him on Chicago. Uh, he would be a nice add for a playoff push. And I don't know; it, it kind of depends on who you talk to. Like the Bulls are sort of hovering between, at least among the fan base. Like, do we push towards the playoffs? Do we try to add add a piece or two to the roster to to shore up the rotation for a playoff? playoff push given that the east is so so open beyond the top four seeds let's say um, but then you've got other people that, that maybe think you know this team isn't really where it should be that the the players beyond Zach Levine and, and and Patrick Williams aren't good enough or don't amount to enough that maybe you 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 start to trade guys like Lowry, Wendell, Kobe, even Thad Young you trade these guys get whatever assets you can and do a mini tank and you know head towards this this draft with trying to to get your hands on a, a top three pick or whatever it might be. So there's two school of thoughts. I'm in the in the camp that suggests that the Bulls should try to win now as as much as they can, just due to the fact that Zach Levine has taken the leap that he has and he's an unrestricted free agent next season. So if you miss the playoffs this season, you go towards another tank next season or, or like a, a reboot of the rebuild, let's say. And then, you know, his, his eighth year next season is another losing season. Do you, do you risk losing Zach Levine for nothing in, in free agency? So I'm more of the, uh, of the opinion that I'm worried about losing Levine and he, him being the only real all-star on this roster or the only guy that looks like that at, the, at this point. Like, I'd be worried of, about losing him. So I'm trying to win now. 
Um, I don't know what the Bulls will do. I, it's sounding like they're going to stand Pat, but um, if anything, I'd like to see them add a player or two. Because as you saw tonight, like that second unit that the Bulls have isn't really good at creating shots. Um, and that's part of the problem with the whole Kobe White experiment at this point. And the team just, for whatever reason, didn't really invest in a point guard, which is why I'd kind of like to get George Hill in to maybe stabilise things a little bit. Um, I know he's not a pure point guard, but um, maybe maybe... I mean, maybe OKC can and Chicago can arrange a, a, a trade. We can send you a, a second round pick for for George Hill or something like that. I think uh, a second round pick, Presty, uh, Presty probably hang up. I think he's he's got a lot of leverage here with with George Hill having a team option for next year. That's not just being a rental. So it'll be interesting to see if he is moved. You know what what he's moved for. Um, I want to talk a bit about Laurie. Um, kind of an yeah. interesting situation. Um, impending restricted free agency. He's a guy that you could definitely get value for, even though the team that's trading for him knows they're going to have to give him a pretty significant payday. Um, what are your thoughts on Laurie? Um, you know, what does he bring to the table? Obviously, his injury concerns are are huge, but um, what what would it take for you to be happy with a trade of Laurie? Like, what would it take? the Bulls getting in return for you to say, okay, that was definitely worth, you know. For me, as someone who's not a big Lowry guy, it wouldn't take a lot, um, in part because he is a restricted free agent coming up. I, I don't know what his value necessarily is, and I don't know what he's necessarily going to command, and I'm kind of scared about what he will command in free agency, given that this free agency crop isn't that great. There are a lot of teams that will have cap space, his cap hold is $20.1 million. I'm very fearful of paying that amount or even more, which I think is a real possibility that he does get that money from some other team if it's not Chicago. So I would be I would be looking to move Lowry personally. And uh, look, to me, a team like OKC makes sense. I mean, I, I was actually going to bring that up for you guys because like in terms of obviously the Thunder have a million, a million draft picks, you're, you're clearly focusing on the next great team. But like... Are you, as Thunder fans, are you guys thinking about maybe going and putting in a restricted free agent offer on someone like Lowry or John Collins or Lonzo Ball, whoever it may be? Because from my from my vantage point, at least, it doesn't seem like you guys have a lot of future contracts. It, it, it seems like you can engineer your cap space to the point where you could make a free agent offer. I don't know if that's necessarily the plan because maybe you still want to remain bad or you know trade or use your cap space to bring in players with um, bad contracts, getting some first-round picks and doing so, the, the, the press, you would say. <laughs> so I don't know if that's part of the plan. But for, for me, like, I would be trying to trade someone like Larry to a team like OKC, who, you know, a team trying to gain some younger talent. I would, like, if you could, if I could get, like, a first-round pick for Larry Markton, maybe even not a great one, I, I would move him for that personally. Yep, and I think uh, it's, it's definitely... Something that would make sense for Oklahoma City, they, they have the potential to have up to 50-ish million dollars in cap space this summer. Um, not to mention, could be quite a bit more if, if Al Horford was moved in a situation where Oklahoma City took on less money if it was a team that had you know some sort of trade exception or, or salary flexibility. So um, the money is not the issue when it comes to signing restricted free agents. I think the, the big thing would be Presti doesn't want to overpay now because that limits flexibility when it comes to building that, you know, championship roster and three, four, five, however many years that it takes to get back into that kind of playoff hunt. So 
for me, that's why John Collins would probably be off the table. I think he's looking for more like 25 to 27 a year, whereas Markkanen would be looking more like, I think, in the 18 to 22, 23 at most. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I think him, he would be a a great fit. It's only – only issue there is Darius Baisley is is very highly thought of within the organization. You didn't get to see him tonight, but he he plays starting power forward normally, and I think he's a small forward long term. But things would get interesting there with with two guy two young guys really fighting for that power forward spot, and even Isaiah Roby, who's who's been impressive playing power forward and center this year. So um, I'd love to see a deal be done if, if Oklahoma City could trade a pick that was you know a future, um, maybe one of those future Clippers picks that likely won't be in the lottery and will be uh, a later first and then maybe some other sort of young asset that's not near as good as Larry but still gives you some sort of um, upside in a young guy. I think that could work. So that, that's an interesting topic there. I know we're coming up on, on about 30 minutes here. So I want to um, wrap up with just uh, another trade conversation here. Otto Porter Jr., um, mm-hmm. To me, he's fascinating because he's had ups and downs throughout his career. He's been really, really good at points. He's been really, really bad and injured at points. Um, yeah. Yep. He, he seems like, like in theory on paper, he could be the perfect guy that can get a contender over the top. If you can somehow eat up his salary, um, he, can, he can shoot the three. He's long. He has the ability to play defense. Um, I guess if you, were, if you were a contending team or you were the, the GM of a contending team, is it worth trading assets for Otto Porter Jr.? Or if you're a contending team, are you waiting to, for him to hit free? The thing with that makes it difficult with Otto is his contract. So he's basically got $28.5 million. And, you know, matching that contract alone is going to be difficult. I'm assuming an elite team that may want someone like Otto would like struggle to get to that number. And I guess part of the issue there is, like, even if you can make the trade, can you trust this guy to remain healthy? I think he's played basically 50 games for the Bulls since he got here essentially two years ago. So he is a flight risk from an injury point of view. Can you find a trade that makes it work? I think it would be extremely tough. So I think those contending teams would be hopeful that Otto could be bought out, which I'm very... I don't think it's going to happen. So I don't don't think that would be uh, something that occurs. But... The main trades that we've seen speculated, not that there's any rumors to them or any substance to them, but has, has been like swapping out uh, Otto Porter for Andre Drummond or something like that. Like that's the level of uh, attention that Otto's received at this point. I was hopeful coming into this season that if, if you know, if he could remain healthy, he could play 30-odd games, prove that he's that two-way player that maybe he was in Washington, that maybe a team would bite on someone like Otto and mm. perhaps you could use this huge, huge contract to bring in. Look, I was actually hopeful of, of making a trade in the off-season of bringing in CP3 to Chicago using Otto Porter's deal as a as a main part of that. But I think at this stage, it's, it's probably <laughs> unlikely. I think he's going to remain in Chicago just due to the fact that his contract's too huge. He misses too many games and um, he's probably more of a free agent buy for a team like the Warriors or you know the Lakers or whatever it might be in the off-season. Definitely. Cool. We'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Thanks, everyone, for joining this session. Um, again, Thunder fall to the Bulls 123 to 102. See you guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. 
Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.